I'll just say a word before we get started about the direction of today because it is a change and many of you will uh, recognize that. I talked to a couple different people over the past week and let them know that I was going to be teaching on something different this morning. And um, some, I, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit and been um, inundated with studying through that and trying to prepare um, as best as I can on my side um, a teaching for you. And we will come back to that topic and not spend just one more week, but at least two more weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. But I thought it was appropriate, and I rarely will change what I'm talking about, but I thought it was appropriate in light of the shootings that took place last week, a week ago tonight, that we spend some time going over a, um, a specific topic, and that is how to deal with tragedy. Before I pray, I just want to give you a little bit of what I've been going through with this. Of course, for the follower of Jesus Christ, it's different for us. We have something that is firm, that is unshakable, that we hold on to. We return to the Word of God, as God has given it to us to guide our lives and to help us in those times where we do not have answers that are good answers, and when we ask more questions than get answers. It was last Monday morning that I was in my car and actually through the radio station um, the, in, in the morning, it was mentioned on there about the uh, mass shooting, and so I spent some time in the morning uh, following the news and seeing what was going on. And as a response, um, I prayed with my family for the victims of that shooting in Las Vegas. And we as a family sat down in the evening and we watched the news and <coughs> talked with Tina about how, how do we respond to this? How are we different? It came to light with us. The, the priorities sometimes will be clearer in our life. The things that are most important, the eternal things will jump out to us. When I dropped my kids off at school, I said the same thing that I always say to them uh, when I drop them off. I say, remember, God is with you, is what I tell them. And that's just as much for me as it is for them because I can't be in there with them the whole time. And I can't be everywhere with all of my loved ones like I'd like to. I spoke to someone even in our congregation this morning and, and uh, very much so, I think, in response to what we've seen with that shooting, they just mentioned, well, what's, what's our day like? Is it even safe to come to church? Because we can do what we can to avoid all these things. We can say, well, I won't go to any big concerts or I won't live in Florida or Puerto Rico or California. We can do everything that we can to try to avoid these things, but when it comes right down to it, last night at 11.30 at night, I was in my basement with my family listening to the sirens for a possible tornado coming through our area. Some of the first responders were out late working last night because of the high winds and the potential storm that was there. So how do we respond to these things? Very much so, it makes us um, take inventory personally. What's most important? Perhaps you hugged a loved one a little bit longer, a little bit harder after this terrible tragedy. When it comes to ministry, many of you, most of you have some kind of ministry. 
something that you are doing that will count for eternity. And it's appropriate to say, is this worth it? Is this something that's going to make a difference for all eternity and the eternal things might become clearer? It's interesting timing because just in uh, the week before that, I go in at the beginning time and the closing time of our kids' club, and I enjoy that. I enjoy um, being, you know, singing with the kids and being a little bit silly, and we do a game, and, and I'm uh, built well for that. helps keep me in touch with that ministry. I mentioned earlier in the announcements, we've seen good fruit come from our youth that come to our church and so I'm thankful for that. Having said that, just the Wednesday before, I uh, was doing, leading the group with the songs. And that's all I do. I play a small role of leading the songs and playing a game. But I just found myself very much so not being in control. If you've stood in front of a group of children or teenagers and they got going, it's very, you, you know what I'm talking about when you say you might have been standing in front of the group, but you were not leading the group. They were going somewhere that I did not intend them to go. And I mentioned to at least one of the workers afterwards, it was pretty clear to me that I was in as little control as I ever have been in about three years of doing that of that group. And so the knee-jerk response is, well, we've got to get rid of the troublemakers. The ones that are causing problems, we've got to get rid of them because they're going to ruin the whole thing for us. And of course, to do things decently and in order, you cannot sacrifice the entire group for one kid that won't sit still. Having said that, after we went through the situation with the 58 or so people who had their lives taken from them from that shooter. And as we look at Puerto Rico, looks like mostly wiped out quite a bit anyway. And that overshadows the thousands of homes that have been lost in Houston. And that's on the heels of the massive earthquake in Mexico last month. One thing after another, after another. And as I thought about my opportunity to touch base with some of these kids who might not hear the name of Jesus Christ in a correct way, maybe for the rest of their lives if they don't come back to our church, I thought I'm going to approach it a little bit differently this coming Wednesday. And I went and, and uh, got together with those kids right at the beginning. And I had, you know, I was up front. And so I was able just to tell them, and I thought about it. I said, I want to let you guys know that Jesus loves you very much. He loves you. And they didn't quiet down and start to worship. They were still rowdy and still going. But I just, in response to that, wanted to let them know that Jesus loves them. And the message that they will get as we go through the year very much so will, um, will build upon that and talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. I wonder how you have responded some of you might have shed a tear like I did on Monday night as we watched some of the um, individuals that were affected. I want to challenge us today with how to respond to tragedy when these things happen. And we can do everything we can to prevent them and maybe we'll have some good success. But for the most part, we're going to live in a world where we will see one thing after another take place that is out of our control. I'd like for you to go ahead and turn in your Bible with me to John chapter 9. John 9 in your Bible. John chapter 9. 
And we're going to look at an instance of Jesus Christ and how he was asked a question that was not a ridiculous question, but it's appropriate, and I think it will help us today. John chapter 9 in your Bibles. Before we go any further, would you bow your heads and your hearts with me once you've found that place? We'll ask for God's clear involvement. Gracious Father, we look to you with this request that we have given before, and that is the Holy Spirit would be clearly moving in this place. We thank you as believers walk in here, they have the Holy Spirit with them. But I would ask for something very special as the people of God join together corporately and join around your word and even with the idea of the heavy hearts that some are facing and the fear that would enter into some, some fear that might keep individuals even from going to a public gathering like a church service. And God, I would ask that very clearly you would prick our hearts so that we would be different because of our time in your word this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we respond in times like this? In the middle of tragedies, there is a question that many people will ask. And I would not berate people for asking this. In fact, it's a very common question. It can be a question that if you will give a, little bit of t- give a little bit of time to it, you can use to point someone to Jesus Christ in an appropriate way. And the question starts with why. Why me, some people will ask, as maybe their home has been destroyed. Why the innocent, when we look at ones who were doing no one harm that we can tell and their life was taken from them? Why? And as we look at this idea of tragedy, let me just remind us that this is built upon the everyday struggles that we face. And likely most of you could give something that you have had to face in your life, whether it be an ongoing sickness, abuse in your past, something that seems like you're hardly able to take it. And so we have these tragedies built upon the everyday struggles that we have. And maybe you have asked the question to God, why? It's not a bad question. It's not inappropriate. And even the most mature Christian will oftentimes come to a place where he does not have an answer. Why is God allowing this to happen? As we study through God's word, we can go back thousands of years and still see this with the wonderful character in the Old Testament, Job, as he went and he had a wonderful life and God had blessed him and he loved God and everything was taken away from him. And I know the question why would come up and yet Job teaches us a wonderful lesson where he says, naked I came into the world and naked I will leave. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is relevant for us. It was relevant in the 20th century as they went through two world wars. They went through the Holocaust, genocides in the Soviet Union and China. Perhaps you can recall video footage of the famine in Africa that took place in the last century. And of course, the introduction of AIDS that would take so many lives. And so the question, why, if there is a powerful and loving God does this stuff happen? And I want to, if you're taking notes, go ahead and take this down. Although suffering is not good, God can use it for good. 
Even though suffering is not good, God can take suffering and he can make something out of it that is so wonderful and so beautiful. You see, God promises for his children that even the evil that we would, will encounter in this world, it will turn, God can turn it into something good for those who are committed to him. And so if you are committed to God, no matter what, whether it's some kind of a tragedy that comes through that everybody hears about, or if it's the private tragedy that you have been dealing with for years and you don't have an answer for, and God has not made it clear, if you are committed to God, He can and will take the pain and suffering and make them into something good. And this is where the rubber meets the road for some Christians because they can see the story in the Old Testament of Joseph and how Joseph was able to say, you meant it for evil to his brothers, but God meant it for good to save the world. And you might say, I see the principle, I can get behind that, but wait, wait, wait. With my pain, I don't see it. I just can't see what God is going to do with what I have gone through. And so even good Christians will question this. Many will accept this as a general teaching, but when it comes to the pain and experience that you have gone through, you will say it is different. And I want to turn us just to one illustration before we go to John in chapter 9. And the illustration, I put it on the board here. If you're taking notes, you can write down Acts 4, verses 27 and 28. We've just completed our study in the book of Acts. And, of course, as the gospel is being presented in Acts 4, we get some helpful words where it says this, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You see, what we find there is that the worst sin that was ever committed, the crucifixion of God the Son, resulted in the absolute best result that could ever come. This is the loving and all-powerful and all-knowing God that you and I worship. This is our creator. Shall not the God of all the earth do what is right? And the answer is yes. God will do what is right. The murder of the Son of God was the worst sin in the history of the world, and it was in God's plan. He willed it for the sake of incredible good. Thousands of good responses would come from that most worst incident in the history of the world. On a much smaller scale, we study through and look at the response of Mary Magdalene and the response of compassion that came from a woman as she would travel to anoint the body of Jesus Christ after he had been killed. We see a demonstration of courage, courage for what is good and what is right by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus as they would go and approach the, the, the king about getting Jesus' body. And of course, your mind is probably already there with the good that would come from the death of Jesus Christ, the millions and millions that would turn to him because of the forgiveness that was offered, and the millions and millions that were saved, that were looking forward to the cross 
So much good would come from that tragedy. God took the very worst thing that ever happened and from it he brought the very best thing that could ever happen. And we don't think of things clearly sometimes because we don't have the whole picture. You see, our God is a big picture God. He knows where it started and he knows exactly where it's going to end and God knows every minute detail right in the middle, right down to your life and what you are facing. And we don't always know that. Let me give you one. Um, it's a poor illustration, but maybe it will give you some clarity. If you are reading through a book and you're going through and you're reading it and you're not quite getting it, just, it's, not, it's not quite clicking, and you're halfway through and you close that book and you say, well, this is ridiculous. This author doesn't know what he's doing. He hasn't tied together the plot and the characters aren't making sense. And you close that book and you don't pick it up again and you're very critical of that book. Well, who's at fault there? Well, you're at fault. You haven't seen how it ends. That author, that writer, very likely is going to, in some very unique and creative way, tie everything right at the end where you'll go, wow, that was good. Wow, that was really amazing how he did that there. And in a similar way, God is writing the story of all the earth and of mankind. And he will do what is right. And let me remind us today that justice as defined by God in his word, will prevail. It might seem like evil men get away with things sometimes, but they will not. Justice will come. All of that to bring us to John chapter 9. We're not going to cover a large portion of John 9 today, but I think it will help us. Let me start by reading the first two verses. The situation, of course, is Jesus. He has his followers with him, and he takes an opportunity to teach them a lesson starting in verse 1 of John 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the focal point of chapter 9 is the blind beggar. This is a familiar story to many of us, and Jesus would heal the blind um, from time to time in his on, during his time of ministry on earth. And so you need to get an understanding of who this man is. He was born blind. Never in his life had he seen the colors in a stained glass window. Never in his life had he see, seen the sky and the beautiful colors on the sunset of a fall day. He had never seen the response of a child when his mother showed him kindness and compassion. He had never seen any of those things. Now, you and I, if you're a student of the life of Jesus Christ, you can recall a number of times when Jesus was asked a question, a theological question from the scribes and the Pharisees, most often trying to trip him up. But this time the question comes from the disciples, and the question is this, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? And that might strike us as a little bit unusual, a little bit cold, but I don't think it was an unusual question when they asked it of Christ. I think it would be common, especially for Jewish individuals. In those days, it was commonly taught that, and this is uh, interesting for some of the ladies that might be carrying a child, uh, have done that recently or will be soon. In those days, it was commonly taught that a fetus could actually commit sin while in the mother's womb. And can you guess what the indicator was if that fetus was a big sinner in the womb or not? It was how much kicking that fetus did. That was a common belief. Kicking indicated the sinful state. And so this might be in the heads of them. 
from the Torah, we still today can read this, where it says, quote, It was possible for God to impose judgment of the parents' iniquity upon their children or grandchildren, unquote. So this is in their thinking as they approach this blind man. And they've got Jesus Christ with them. And so they ask a question. And we should not fault them too quickly thinking that we would be above what they did. But I think very interestingly, how they respond does not show how they needed to respond. And there are many who would rather spend time debating the theological controversies than show compassion to the person that is in need. And if we are not careful, brothers and sisters, we can spend time debating things while there is a world going to hell. And the issues that, yes, God wants us to get right and wants us to be good stewards of the word that he's given us and figure these things out, but he does not want us to not show compassion upon those that need it when we have opportunity. And that's what the disciples missed here. But Christ does not scold them. Instead, he teaches them a lesson. Look in verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, then anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And so we look at what happens here, and you can imagine as his disciples are with him, and they're thinking that the kingdom's coming very soon, and this Jesus is going to be their general, that all kinds of questions would have come up. Why, why, the, why the saliva, Jesus? Why did you go that route to do this and put the mud on his eyes? Hang on, Jesus. Why, why the... Why the pool of Siloam? What's going on that's special there? Do we need to remember that? Do we need to write that down? And I think questions would come up from these followers of Jesus Christ, and every one of those questions was drowned out by a celebration. As a man returned from the pool of Siloam, seeing for the very first time in his life, Jesus Christ answered this question and said, this man was born blind for the glory of God. Today we are dealing with this question, how do we respond when tragedy comes? How could God be glorified in this? Now we look back in hindsight at this. There's a good chance that you are even more, you're more creative than I am when we look into God's word. What good could have come from this? Well, could be 30 years of love and compassion from a set of parents that would care for this uh, boy who was born blind and now is a man. It could be the demonstrations of compassion that were given to him, that were poured out upon him by people that, were, um, that would encounter him. Let me give you one point for us to take away as we t look at this tough question. If you see a calamity and you know that God could have stopped it, which he could have, and God did not stop it, then we need to, as we were challenged earlier by song, walk by faith and understand that God has a purpose in it. God has a purpose in it. 
So when we come across this, that might put some people who very much so have a strong confidence in the sovereignty of God and what he's doing, but that, that, get, that, make, that makes them conflicted in a different area. It conflicts them with this. Well, if God, if this is God's will and God's purpose, and he could have stopped it, but he did not, then how should I feel about that? Should I not feel good about something that God allowed? And let me just encourage you today, in the world that we live in, how you're going to feel about something, it is okay for you to feel outrage at sin. The sin of an individual that would plot and plan and take the lives of dozens of people, it is okay for you to feel outrage. It's okay for you to take the steps that you can take, whatever step that might be. Let's not get distracted from the main reason why we are here in this world, but let's understand very much so that there is a little bit of merit to the many side conversations that we have. The fact that the Ten Commandments have been taken out of the schools where it says, thou shalt not kill. And some of you would understand that and agree with that. And we can voice that. And we can work to reverse that if we want to. If we will, if, if that's important to us, we can. I'm not saying don't, but don't let it distract you from the main thing. And it's okay for you to feel outrage at sin. Also, it's okay for you to feel compassion for the victims. It's likely that many of you have gone through a different kind of compassion. I spoke with one person who was trying to talk with them about the, the shooting last week, and they said, I, just, I, I can't deal with this right now. I have to, they needed to go and, and be away. We all deal with these things differently, but let me encourage you, it's okay to feel compassion for the victims, no matter what it was, a storm or some tragedy or a crime. And it's also okay for us to have, of course, efforts for relief for people in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't want to lead with that when we're trying to explain to somebody why tragedy happens, but very much so God will take something horrible and he will turn it into something that is beautiful in Jesus Christ name and so what do we do with this how do we respond it's a little bit tricky because usually i say what do we do at the end and the first thing i'm going to give you is what not to do because when tragedy comes there are typically a couple things that can happen some individuals when tragedy comes it might come to their life personally or to a large group or to a location a lot of people will run from god if there is a good god who is loving and is all-powerful, and this happened, that I don't believe in God. Many people will get there. There's been a couple of prominent Christians that have had opportunity to spend time with Larry King, the individual on CNN that would interview people. And Larry King uses this as his argument for not wanting to turn to God because good folks have witnessed and given Jesus Christ to Larry King. And this is what Larry King goes back to. There is so much pain and sin and horrible things, in, so many horrible things in this world. And if that is the case, then I cannot believe in the God of the Bible. If the God of the Bible is loving and he is merciful and he's gracious and he's kind and all these things happen, that is too much for him to accept. And many people will turn bitter when something happens to them. We've all seen folks go through incredible pain and they might run from God. But the next one there, how should we respond? We can and should run to God. Having a confidence, even if we don't have an answer to why it happened, having a confidence and running to our God. How can we do this? Well, you can be a part of showing compassion in some way. 
Let me just go ahead and say, I think that the people of Jesus Christ shine in the aftermath of times like this. So many great organizations have been started after times like this, in times of need. And they're going to continue to happen. And we need to be shining as lights in this world. And then, before I give you one last, applic- one, one last thing you can do, let me just, um, for those of you who need this today, let me give you one other application. And it's this, remind yourself when the tragedy comes that for the child of God, the best is yet to come. Just remember that. For us, the best is yet to come. For those who follow Jesus Christ, our time in this world is the closest thing that we will ever know to hell. The best is yet to come. On the flip side of that, for those who do not know Jesus Christ, their time in this world is the closest they will ever know to heaven. For them, the worst is yet to come, which should drive us to a place where we want to share Jesus Christ. But remind yourself that what we have in this world is temporary. And then finally, one last application. And this is why I've got my candy machine up here today. I take this in the room on Wednesday nights and the kids will, if they answer a question, they get some candy. And um, it's helpful for us. And I'll, mention, I'll talk about it in just a moment. This last thing that we can do is allow the tragedy to shake you to a place where eternal things have a renewed importance. You should be able to allow the things that take place, whether it's a huge storm or a crime of some sort, allow them to stop you in your tracks and shake you to a point where you're saying, you know, I've had a time in the past where I was interested in eternal things in this avenue. And that kind of waned. It kind of has lessened. Allow yourself to evaluate and look at your life to see what is really important. Let me close by finishing how I started. I started talking about these beautiful kids that come to our club and we need some workers we need a van driver or two we need some people that will help us with different aspects of the ministry but as I get a chance to mingle with some of these I had this on my mind I wanted to pray with my family when I was responding and I wanted to hug my own kids a little bit longer when I was responding and then as I got going throughout the week and was thinking about my thoughts about these ones who are troublemakers that come out and I thought to myself I wanted to just I wanted to hug on them I wanted to tell them Jesus loves them. And so I started out our time this past Wednesday night by letting all of them know that Jesus loves them. Then at the end, we have a closing game usually, and sometimes they can earn a penny. I've got a penny here. A penny won't buy you much, but it'll buy you about four or five pieces of candy from my candy machine. We give out pennies to the kids if they answer a question uh, from the Bible lesson, and they get to go and do that. There was one young man and um, he came up right at the end, and I don't know if he didn't get a penny Wednesday night, but he wanted some candy bad. He wanted some candy bad. And I had in my hand a baggie that had pennies in it, and he knew it was there. And so he was telling me some details about the Bible story. I wasn't even in there for the Bible story, so I'm taking his word for it. And um, he's telling me some details about the Bible story, and it was clear what he wanted. He wanted a penny so he could buy some candy. But what he did not know on my side was what I wanted. And so he told me a Bible fact about the story, and I said, okay, but it's going to cost you a hug. I don't even remember his name. And this beautiful little guy came up, and he gave me a hug. He didn't want to hug me. He wanted a penny. (laughs) Can I encourage you today to allow times like this to shake you 
to remember what is eternal. We have been given so many years, so many months, so many days in this world. And for some of you, you've asked that question. I had a conversation with somebody this past week. They're trying to get a gospel presentation to it in as many hands as they can. And they're not sure how many folks are going to actually look at it, but they're trying to get it out there. And that's the spirit. Don't let the burden fall aside. And even if you've had something in the past where you've been looking at something eternal and it's kind of fallen by the side, don't quit. By faith, we do these things until the work is done. And that is when the last believer is taken out of this world. So continue to work and to serve and to follow him. Allow the burden to build up within you. We're going to see it again and again. Our God is good and he has something for you to do. So how do we respond? Walk by faith and not by sight. Run to God. Be strengthened in the things that are going to count for eternity. And allow yourself to become, to, for it to become very clear why God has put you in this world to work for something that's eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you with a lack of understanding. So many things that we will face, so many things that are going to happen, and we need to be very careful as we go to folks not to be glib or represent you in an unloving way. But God, would you strengthen us in our hearts so that what we will face, what we faced in the past week or the past month and what's coming up down the road where we will have confidence in you and very much highlight why you have us in this world. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play through a song on the piano. This is a time for you to pray. I'm gonna stop talking in just a second. You might be here today and you've never accepted Christ as the Savior and Lord of your life. You can pray and ask him for forgiveness right now and give your life to him. Perhaps you're here and you need to evaluate. You need to give time and effort to things that will count for eternity. Talk to God about that, even at this moment. ask all of you to take the song book in front of you and pull it out. We're going to sing um, How Great Thou Art, our closing song. And you get your song book so you can sing a part. If you can read music and can kick in with one of the parts, that'll be helpful. It's on the screen as well. Um, you might, well you, a lot of you have this song memorized. We're going to sing verses 1, 3, and 4 of How Great Thou Art. I'll let you be seated right now as we sing the first verse. And then we'll uh, sing 1, 3, and 4 of How Great Thou Art. 147 in your song book.
stand with me and when I think. I'll sing that fourth verse a cappella. Oh, when Christ shall come, we shall love said, 